This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Monday, July 31st, 2017. My guest today is Dan Seifert of The Verge. Hi, Dan. How are you? Hi, Miriam. I'm well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. Um, so the news this week, honestly, you know, this is a mobile show and mobile for me encompasses anything that can be moved and or moves itself and has some sort of connectivity and smarts to it. So, you know, I figured that's more interesting than just making the show about phones. And so <laughs> the big elephant in the room, as it were, is the Model 3 this week. So I I thought you'd be the guy to have on because I know that you drove and reviewed the Chevy Bolt for the Verge, and obviously, I've I was at the Chevy Bolt test drive, um, mm-hmm. test drive. So, what is your take on the Model Three? Like, you know, now that the hype is maybe a few days behind us, and that we know what to expect, like at least we have some parameters. Until now, is the jungle, right? Yeah. So, what was your initial take, and how has that take developed over the last few days? Uh so I guess my take on the Model Three is I'm a little less hyped about it than I think a lot of other people are. Uh, I'm, and it's a thing to be excited about. You know, if you look at the history of Tesla and you look at when Elon Musk first started the company, the reason for it to exist and the planning for the company way back in like 2006, he wrote a blog post about it. The Model 3 is kind of like a culmination of a lot of those efforts. And it's finally bringing a, uh, a fully electric vehicle down to an affordable price point that the mass market could, could uh, adopt. Um, but of course it's like doing it in a Tesla way, which means that like, you know, a handful of people will be able to get some this year. We really don't like exactly know how many are going to be produced this year, but you know, analysts are saying anywhere from like 2000 to 3000 and stuff, which is, is nothing. Um, and the way, the way the car is designed is very Tesla. Like it's, it's not conventional in any way, shape or form other than it has four doors and four wheels. Um, and so four seats. <laughs> yeah. And four seats. Right. Yeah. So like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very Tesla way to do this. Um, it's cool that it's finally arriving. It's kind of funny that like you mentioned, the Chevy bolt is kind of beat it to market, uh, because it took Tesla so long to get to this point. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of like mixed feelings about it. I'm very, you know, I'm interested in seeing it in person and getting my own butt in the seat. Uh, that's one thing I haven't done yet is, is actually driven it. Uh, but you know, I'm a little, little skeptical, a little, little reticent about it. So, you know, I think you're right to be because you're, that makes a good, you know, that means you're a good journalist. Skepticism (laughs) is a good thing. I'm a bit of a fangirl to be honest with you. So it's a hard, I mean, I just want to disclose that I've reserved one and mine is supposed to arrive, uh, by February between December and February. So I'm in the first few, yeah probably in the first 20 to 30,000 people that, that signed up. Um, and of course I have the choice. I, I just checked yesterday on the Tesla website. I have the choice to get the long range one at, in that time frame, or to mm-hmm. get uh, wait a little longer and get the short range, which I'm not interested in, um, or, um, wait and get the dual motor at some point. So, and the dual um, motor adds all wheel drive. Is that of course. Right. Clear? Um, yeah, right. and probably, probably a little more range and definitely better traction and probably a higher performance, uh, because you can hook four wheels to the ground for starts. And I mean, look, the reality for me is this, I'm a car enthusiast. I could afford a model S, uh, an entry level one. 
but I always felt it was a big a car that's too big for me. Uh, you know, growing up mm -hmm. in Europe, um, living there for many years, um, I like smaller cars. And that's why, you know, like when we're talking about the Bolt, to me, this the Bolt's like the perfect size for mm -hmm. the kind of car that I would want and the perfect uh, form factor, the hatchback, the five door, right? Right, right. Um, I'm, you know, I had Golf for many years. I, I drove a Honda Fit. Like, I don't like, the problem is I don't like SUVs and CUVs because I'm, I'm an enthusiast. I like lower center of gravity vehicles that are not top heavy. Of course, you're going to say they both have batteries in the floor, so they're not going to be top heavy. <laughs> and indeed, the Bolt handled superbly for a, you know, CUV type vehicle. Right. Um, But it does put me off that it looks like a CUV a little bit. And, I would, you know, I would, if, if, if Volkswagen could get their shit together and do a golf with a 250 mile range, cause they have, they have an e-golf, which is really amazing. I don't know if you've driven it, but I haven't, but it's, 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 it's just a short like, range, it just right? feels like you're driving a Volkswagen, which as you know, is a freaking solid point of reference. Yeah. And then it goes electric from there. But if they don't have the range, and to me, that would be the perfect package. It's a five-door, it's comfortable, it's well-built, it's traditional with its gauges and everything else. It's very safe, and it would have the kind of experience that I can get from a Bolt in terms of driving dynamics and acceleration and range. But that's not the case. So to me, the Bolt is kind of a consolation prize in many ways. It's like, <laughs> I'm glad... Chevy did it. Somebody pulled it off before Tesla and they did so at a price that I think is overall going to be lower than the Teslas because yeah. most of those Model 3s are going to be sold for way more than the 35000 That's the reality. Right. I'm not absolutely don't have any issues spending up to 60 k on that car because it's still cheaper than buying the Model S base, which I can already afford. So to me, it's a size thing and a cost thing somewhat that I don't have a Model S. Um, so I think I'm the perfect customer for the Model 3 because I do love the looks of it. And I like it that it's rear-wheel drive or all-wheel drive versus front-wheel drive mm -hmm. on the Bolt. Um, mm -hmm. so, so to me, as an enthusiast, all this stuff kind of matters. The thing that rubs me completely the wrong way is the lack of a dashboard. Because I'm sorry, but you know, I'm really hoping there's an entire third party that pops up of uh, ODB2 uh, um, you know, heads-up displays for the Model 3. <laughs> Like I, would, I think if you right now you own if you're in China right now and you own a startup, uh, or not even in China, but if you have connections in China for manufacturing and you own a startup, I tell you get in the business right now. Make a heads up display specifically for the Model Three, or or even an instrument pin that you can just mount on that beautiful wood dash, and that looks and feels like stock and wirelessly connects somehow or with just a simple sing, single power cable connects to the ODB two. Uh, and then gets just the, the basics, like what's my speed? Is my turn signal stock on? Uh, what are my headlights doing? Like all the basic things I expect, what's my range, right? Like that's, I don't want much. I just want to not have to look at that corner screen. I think that's going to be weird. Yeah. And, you know, it seems like the, there's a lot of speculation on this, of course, but it seems like, you know, that center dashboard was designed for a fully autonomous future that we're not quite there yet, where you know, you don't really need a driver. And so if you don't have a driver, there's no reason to be looking at speedometers and gauges and stuff like that. Um, but I'm with you. And I think that that is part of like the Tesla-ness of the Model 3 is that it might be a little less approachable for the average car buyer that's walking into a showroom. Uh, I, the things that I didn't like about the Chevy Bolt were, you know, like you said, the styling of it. To me, it looks like a $40,000 Honda Fit. 
And a exactly. Honda Fit's a great car, but a Honda Fit is also a $17,000 car. Correct. And so there's nothing about the Bolt that makes it feel like any upscale or whatever. It doesn't look really futuristic at all. Uh, the interior is well made, but it's not luxury by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, a golf so, will blow, like a base golf will blow away the interior of the. Bike. Yeah, exactly. So like you're paying a lot for that electric drivetrain, um, and you know, like your experience. I drove it for a week. It has a lot of power. It handles great. Uh, if it's super easy to drive and comfortable to drive, it's not a, a weird experience at all. Um, and you know, the, the actual driving experience is fine and. It's comfortable to ride in. It's got a lot of height for taller people, and there's room in the back seat. I was able to put both my kids' car seats in the back there uh, without too much of an issue. It did kind of like swallow up the whole back seat, but you know, I did it. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's a, those kinds of things, but you know, for me, uh, the Bolt it just didn't feel like it justified that price. Now, like you said, with the Model Three, they advertise that thirty-five thousand dollar price, but you know, probably nobody's going to get it for thirty-five thousand dollars because you know. It's very stripped down at that price. It's a base entry-level model. If you want any add-ons or features, they're going to raise that price up. It almost reminds me of, like, you know, Microsoft advertises the Surface Pro for (laughs) $799, right? But that gets you a Surface with the base specs, no keyboard, and no pen. And the reality is that most people are spending $1,500 on a Surface Pro. So uh, I think the Model 3 is kind of like that in that respect. Most people are probably going to spend between $45,000 and $55,000 on this car. Does the interior of the Model 3 match to a $55,000 luxury German car? I'm going to guess probably not, just based on my experience. I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, because I think this is a lesson they've been banged at for ever now, and they might right. have learned to improve things. Maybe. So Hopefully. let's see. <laughs> but I, I, I agree. I'm tempted to say unlikely. Um, yeah. But, you know, back to the BMW you just mentioned, for example, right? I mean, the thing is, BMW is the same way. Yes, you can buy a Stripper 3 Series on paper for 30K or something, yeah. 32. Yeah. I don't know. I have to look it up. But nobody buys that car. It's not at the dealers. It's nowhere. You have to special order it from the factory. Um, and so, in a way, I don't know if Tesla's doing anything very different here than the rest of the mid-range luxury industry, you know? Yeah, I think I think Tesla ramps up a lot faster, though. Like, you know, you mentioned the longer range models. That's the only one that's going to be available initially. And that's why you're able to get it quicker uh, than the shorter range model on uh, with your waitlist pre-order. But that starts at 44 or 45,000. 44, and then you add, yeah. Yeah, and then you add add things on top of that. The I mean, dual motor mine. all-wheel I'll be drive one is going to be like... like all even more expensive than that. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to load mine up because forget it. I might as well, right? And then... And then it's, I'm not going to keep it. It's the lease. Like, I think the depreciation yeah. on, on, for me, it's just going to be a business car. Um, I'm going to put it, I'm going to, you know, make it a business expense because that's, you know, that's just makes sense if you're going to lease something. Um, I don't see myself buying an electric car because the technology improves so quickly. Look, right. just look at the Model S's history. It's been around for five years. If you have one of the first Model S's today, you're getting the short end of the stick. Can't do oh, totally. autopilot in any way, shape or form. You don't even have like basic parking sensors on it. Uh, you have a rear view camera and that's pretty much it. Like, um, the display is low res, um, you know, the battery capacity range is much less than what like a current model is. So I know, doesn't it run an NVIDIA Tegra two or something like, yeah, it's, it's it's like, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) It's like, that's, that's to me why I don't see myself ever owning an electric car. Um, and you know, some people, you know, I, I get it. They like, I mean, look, I own my two cars right now. All right. I don't have any payments on them. So I get it. It's just that for this, to me, you know, 
in a way, the few I don't really need a car. For me, it's a luxury. I don't. I just it's been it's a nice to have because I love driving and I like mm -hmm. technology and I want to explore it. But other people obviously are in a different place, and I really don't think that you know when they say that it's the ever you know the affordable electric car. I think that's BS. It's <laughs> it's just you know touching the highest range of what I consider to be affordable. Yeah. So I guess you know. It, it, if you look at the industry of new cars, I read this recently, and I can't cite the source, unfortunately, but uh, the average new car is like $36,000. So they're just hitting that average price with the entry-level model. But like we've just discussed, price the real price is going to be much higher. Um, and But, you know, it's a, it's a start, and it gets there. You know, they're not hitting Nissan Leaf prices or Toyota Prius prices anytime soon, but... That's the next step, right? That's the yeah, next and that's going to be the to Model down, so. E, or I guess they couldn't make a Model E because uh, Ford owns that brand. Um, but <laughs> uh, that's that's the reality, guys. That's why the Model Three is the Model Three because the Model E they wanted to do a SEX, right? Obviously, it's uh, Elon. Yes. He's, he's got a weird sense of humor. If you watch the reveal of Model <laughs> Three there uh, on Friday, he he mentioned Missile Command. I was so happy when he mentioned Missile Command because I'm a total dork. Yeah. So, well, he's playing. He's playing up to the Tesla audience very, yes. very hard, you know, and like the the people that are willing to put down a, a pre order sight on scene and stuff like that. It's the early adopter audience, without a doubt. You know what reassures me? Like all of this was very much hoopla to me. I mean, I'm you know still a tech journalist, and I'm still not completely a fangirl. So there is a some level of skepticism, probably not as much as I should, but was what reassured me was when I saw some reviews of the car mags that said this drives just like the Model S. It's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was like, that is what I signed up for. I signed up for the future and the Tesla quirkiness, I guess, because I think that quirkiness is what we saw when the iPhone came out. We look at the hardware keyboards now and we go like, yeah, okay, whatever, right? I mean, mm -hmm. uh, and we can talk about this because I, I've had some really interesting takes on this on the podcast so far about the, the key one. Um, I think it's a phenomenal phone, but could I use it as my daily driver? Yes, of course I could, but would I? Probably not because, you know, right. I would never use the hardware keyboard or I feel so weird typing on that hardware keyboard now. And yeah, I, I mean... The, the, as far as the key one goes, I think that like you know it's a very well executed hardware keyboard. But we live in a time when a hardware keyboard just doesn't make a ton of sense uh, because we use our phones. You know, a hardware keyboard is great for when you need to get work done and you need to send a lot of emails. But it turns out that like my phone, yeah, I use it for a lot of work, but I also use it for just as much entertainment. And the hardware keyboard is right in the way when I want to use my phone to avoid getting work done. So it's kind of like doesn't really fit in 2017, at least in my perspective. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's like I'm making this analogy because when we look 10 years from now at the Model 3, we will all be like, of course, you don't have a dashboard. Of course, you don't have a key. Right. 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 But right now it's it's hard. Right. Like, I mean, we're used to it. And, you know. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to wrap our heads around. Technologically, we can, but do we want that in our everyday life? So, to me, I'm a bit torn, and I think that the model, the you know, Tesla has been one of those companies that's really interesting, kind of uh, a bit bipolar in a way. Their cars, because on one hand, they want us to go all autonomous, right? They want us to eventually not have a dashboard, not even have a wheel and pedals, and the computer takes over, and we can sleep, and like Elon said, watch movies, all that stuff. But at the same time, they make cars that are phenomenal driver's cars that when yeah. you hold the wheel, you can feel all the imperfections of the road and you feel really dynamic and it's really solid and really good. So like, what what is it going to be, Tesla? 
Like right now you're giving me both. I'm very happy about that. I feel that the Chevy, you know, is uh, probably not quite in the same league as the Model 3 is going to be simply because it's not rear wheel drive. And, yeah. and, and, you know, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, I'm getting a bit of a mixed message. To me, I think that an, at least an optional HUD that you pay $1,000 for would have been great. But then, then again, I understand the logistics here. Economies of scale. They're trying to make, you know, 20000 a month uh, mm-hmm. at, top, at the top of their production um, and ramp up to that as fast as they can. And simplifying choices makes sense at that point. And, and they're using the software model. If you think about it, having a center display means you can do a right-hand drive version very, very easily, right? Because you have very right, few controls right. to move over. And and the touchscreen to me makes perfect sense to control almost everything because those cars, you look at modern cars, even my 2001 Porsche, it's so computerized that mm-hmm. that like, you you know, when I plug something in the, the, the diagnostic tool in the CAN bus, I can talk to all the modules and like turns things on and off that, that mm-hmm. is completely software driven, even though I'm moving bits of hardware in software. So, so the question is, why need do you actually need the hardware for some of these things? And if we were to remove that hardware, how much money would we save? And I think that's the exercise that they're playing here. It's much cheaper to put a 15-inch touchscreen than a bunch of knobs and all the moldings for all the bits and pieces and the switches that could go bad. And like, I get it. I get it because I'm an engineer and I'm a software person. But at the same time, it's just like... There's a, you know, it's like when you use an analog synthesizer and you play with those knobs, you get this completely visceral experience that you just Mm -hmm. don't get when you're using, you know, uh, some kind of, you know, like editing software on a, on DAW on a, on a PC or Mac. Right. Right. So I don't know. I'm, I'm very torn, but because on one hand I get, I kind of see the glimpse of the future in that car, but at the same time, I'm just like, you're giving us mixed messages, Tesla. (laughs) <laughs> you know you know as far as you know the 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 center console and stack the fact that the, the thing that i hesitate with is the fact that it's only a touchscreen uh it, going back to the bolt one of the things that i actually liked inside the bolt was it had a 10.2 inch touchscreen which is a little smaller than tesla's but uh for most of its functions um it also supported android auto and carplay which i have to note that tesla does not which is insane yeah. um but below that touchscreen in the Bolt are like hard buttons for turning the AC on and off easily or adjusting the volume quickly and easily, which are like, to me, always seem like serviced better by physical buttons when you are tasked with paying attention to the road. I know I, know I just said that like the hardware keyboard on a phone doesn't make sense in 2017, but volume controls and AC controls in a car do make sense in 2017 yeah, there are a few until we get that, to fully like autonomous driving where you don't need to be looking at the road ever. Totally. There are a few things that I would love to see. And it's also very interesting to me that the steering wheel, if you get the upgrade updated interior with the electric steering wheel uh, uh, adjustment and the, uh, the electric, uh, basically all these things are controlled by the touchscreen, but the seats still have physical controls on the edge of them, of them, mm-hmm. which I'm like, that's so non Tesla. You know what I'm saying? But I think that's actually a, regu- a regulatory thing. The seats have to be able to be adjusted for and aft at least. Uh, mm-hmm. Physically, when the car, even with the ign- without the ignition on, when the car, when you open the car door and you unlock the car, so uh, I think that's why they had to put knobs on the on the seats. Mm-hmm. But it's weird to me, like that seems so non-Tesla. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's interesting. We'll see. Um, at the same time, you know, you you know, when we first saw the iPhone, I think we all kind of understood that if this software keyboard, this this 
virtual keyboard could be done right, it might work. But we were very, we were very skeptical, remember? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, a lot of us uh, didn't buy in <laughs> for a while. I yeah. mean, when the first iPhone came out, I was using a Samsung Blackjack, which had a physical keyboard. Uh, I tried the iPhone and did not stay with the iPhone because I couldn't deal. Because, you know, at the time, the first iPhone's keyboard was kind of laggy. Uh, and and it wasn't a great experience, and you know there was many other limitations, not the least of which was you know AT and T's two G network sucked, um, and 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 of course no apps for a year and stuff like that. So it, you know it took a while for the iPhone to gain speed, but like once it did, and once you hit like you know the iPhone fourth generation iPhone, then it's like you know the, the it, anything else seems totally archaic at that point. So definitely, I'm. I'm also a little torn that I can't get the dual motor from day one because, uh, you know, look, I've driven all-wheel drive cars before and as a daily driver kind of feature, uh, you know, I live part of my time in the Northwest and it's nice to have all-wheel drive for, you know, inclement weather traction. Um, And also for performance on the, the, you know, on the electric cars. I mean, Tesla has shown on and on again that having four wheels driven with uh, instant torque is... uh, you know, supercar territory in a, in a, you know, luxury sedan on the Model S. Uh, it's amazing that the performance of zero to 60. Now, you know, it's next snapping acceleration. It's a gimmick. Do you need that in everyday driving? Zero to 60 in five seconds in everyday driving is really fast. Like, yeah. m- you know, my Porsche zero to 60 in 5.5. It's an older one, but that is already super fast. So 2.3 or whatever, like the, the that's like, P100 that's like ludicrous, speed. it's like, forget <laughs> it. It's like, yeah. you're never going to do this in everyday life unless you want to impress your friends in the car and say, watch this, hold my beer, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but I think, I think uh, so I think performance-wise, I'm not too worried really about the rear-wheel drive, but it would be nice to have that option. And I'm not sure, as an early adopter, that I'm willing to wait until they said the fall of 2018, um, summer to fall of 2018, if I want the dual, the dual motor. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fortunate that I'm not in the market for a new car right now, so I'm kind of like, I didn't put a, any pre-order down and, and I can just wait everything out. But uh, for personally, you know, uh, my family, we have a an all wheel drive car because we live in, uh, in the, New York in State. The snow. And there's yeah. real winter here, and we need a all wheel drive to get around in the real winter because we can't just stay home all day. So uh, that would be something that I would definitely kind of have on my short list of things that I would I would personally be waiting for. Yeah, for me, the the Model Three is really a luxury, but at the same time, it's fulfilling the having a long distance cruiser that's quiet and an uh, an around town car that's. Uh, you know, basically emits nothing and uses sips on energy, basically. That's mm-hmm. why I'm really excited about getting it. Um, I drive between Portland and San Francisco a lot. Um, I do it usually in either one of my two cars, which is the sports car or the camper van. I have a Volkswagen camper. Mm-hmm. And both of them are comfortable enough, but they're not as comfortable as, you know, a nice, comfy luxury sedan would be and it doesn't have to be a super high luxury sedan like i think you know a a nice modern honda civic fully loaded would probably be more comfortable than my sports car and than the (laughs) camper van but at the same you know for noise levels and for you know seating and 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 general amenities but at the same time um if i'm gonna go you know, I, w- I want to sample the future. And to me, the supercharger network is one of those areas where Tesla really kind of gets gets it and owns the market. I just don't understand why none of the other manufacturers are spending the money on that infrastructure as actively as Tesla is. Yeah, what what know, is your take on that? 
That was basically my takeaway from my time with the Bolt. I live in the suburbs outside of New York City. I'm like 90 miles outside of New York City. So uh, with the Chevy Bolt, uh, it Chevy doesn't have its own network of charges. It relies on other companies' networks. Uh, there's the Level 1 and Level 2, and then there's a new... DC, DC fast charging yeah. that they that they talk about, uh, which give you diff- various speeds and how long it ta- time it takes to recharge your battery. Um, if you are in Manhattan, where I picked up the car, and you look up an app, say like there's an app called PlugShare that shows you all of the EV charging points. They're all over the place in Manhattan. They're pretty but much they're more in parking common. garages. Yeah, but they're more common than gas stations. Okay. If you need to charge your car, you can charge your car. You drive up to where I live though, and the there's like two. And they're both at car dealerships <laughs> that oh, sell like a BMW i3 or a Chevy Volt or Bolt or whatever. Uh, and, you know, it might be a hit or miss whether that their, you know, chargers are available, whether the charger even works. You know, uh, if you go on um, the Verge's YouTube channel and you look at watch the video that I did with the Bolt, we went to uh, a Golden Corral uh, restaurant parking lot because that's where uh, the app pointed a charger to be at. And there was a brand new charger sitting there. But what the app didn't know was that that particular Golden Corral had gone out of business and closed. So the power to that charger had been turned off and it was not able to charge the car. So it was like kind of like one of those things that like you, it, I was stuck and like I couldn't do anything and couldn't charge my car or whatever. And had it been a real situation where I couldn't charge my car, I would have been like really, you know, up the creek. Um, And there's like, you know, other anecdotes I can share about my time with it. But like basically my takeaway is that like, you know, the technology for the car is certainly there. The infrastructure to live with the car is not there, especially if you live out in the suburbs or outside of a major urban area that doesn't have these networks already in place. Now, Tesla has its supercharger network, which has obviously, you know, been being built out for, you know, five plus years now and is in many places across the U.S. But even then, for me to access a supercharger, I still have to drive like 90, min- 90 to 120 minutes to get to one. Holy um, crap. So there's really none by me. And, and I'm not in an area that's completely rural. I'm not out in the mountains. I'm in the suburbs. I commute to New York City. It's not that far. Uh, so, you know, that it's, it's the reality of it. Uh, my recommendation for Chevy Bolt people who are, are interested in the car and are kind of in the same situation as I am would be to install a charger in their garage is like a non non optional. Like you need to install a level two charger in your garage so that way you can charge up to a full charge every single night and then you have 200 miles to drive around during the day. Otherwise, the car is not really livable. Yeah. So for me, that's part of the reason the Tesla is a good fit is because the superchargers, both in San Francisco and in Portland, are within 20 to 20 miles of the city, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, there's none like there is a whole bunch of uh, destination chargers that Tesla calls that are like actually specific for Teslas, but they're not as fast as the superchargers at various malls and parking garages. And so that's that's good for a quick top off. Uh, like just a few miles, you know, like if you're low. Um, but supercharge is really what I need. And in San Francisco, I live in an apartment. I, I park on the street, so I, I can't get a charger. And as in Portland, mm-hmm. I have a driveway, so I will I will get a Tesla charger for my driveway just because it's convenient and at least I can top off the car overnight before I go on a long road trip, right? But it'll right. be really interesting to see if it even works for me. Like driving from Portland to San Francisco will be non-issue because I'll fully charged from my house but driving what's, from what's the miles from portland to san francisco 635 oh okay 
So you'll have to stop so and charge stop twice. Twice, right. Reasonably, because okay. there's mountains and stuff. Sure. Um, and, and there's enough superchargers on the way. It's not going to be an issue. There's one at least every two two hours. So, okay. Um, but the big issue, I think, for me is when I'm going to leave San Francisco is how do I top up in San Francisco before I leave? Because I, I, I don't want to drive 20 miles out of the city in the morning. Mm-hmm. Plug it into the supercharger and then, you know, then be on my way. I want to kind of be on my way. It's a 10 hour drive, right? So right. uh, it's it's interesting. We'll see how it goes. And maybe it won't be a fit, you know, maybe it just won't work and I'll c- just keep it in Portland as my drive around town car. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But I, I'm hoping to be able to use it for long distance. For me, it's going to be the idea of having a, a very quiet, semi-autonomous car to, to, to drive on this trip that I do relatively regularly. I fly most of the time, but I go back and forth enough that sometimes I want to have a car with me in San Francisco uh, since I spend most of my time in SF. And, and I want to have, you know, a car that I can, you know, go to the google campus with or facebook for whatever meetings i have right mm-hmm. it's much more convenient than taking public transit for inside the city i find that it's generally easier to take a lift everywhere uh, but you know when i need to go to the south bay or something it just doesn't become practical to use public transit and so having a car that i don't have to that you know worry about bumper to bumper uh um traffic jams with because it just drives itself and that you know on that long 10 hour trip i can kind of like leave it on autopilot for a big chunk of the way on the freeway and you know keep an eye on it but not have to worry about like being completely attentive all the time which i obviously have to do in the other two cars especially the volkswagen camper which has about (laughs) as many electronics as your pocket calculator does um (laughs) i think the only computer in there in that vehicle is my fuel injection computer um and the uh the radio that i have in there that has like you know a cd player so it has basically an embedded computer that can decode cds uh <laughs> that's it for computers in that car uh but uh, look it's i think it's going to be for me it's an experiment as well I, th- I think as a car enthusiast who's a technology journalist and a technologist a futurist i want to to try it out and see if this works like and if it doesn't you know what I can return it when the lease is over. And that's going to be the plan, basically. So wish me luck. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, but I hear your pain because, you know, I've driven enough electric cars um, test as review as reviewed uh, vehicles, right? That I've had the same challenges, especially because I've never had a Tesla as a review device of uh, mm-hmm. review vehicles. So it's like I've always had to struggle with, like, where can I find a level two charger near my house in SF? And yeah. most of them are in parking garages that are locked at night. Um, and you have to pay to use them during the day simply because you have, it's free once you're inside the garage. But you have to pay to get in the garage. And right. you know, parking rates in San Francisco, $40, $50 a day. Yeah. Um, and and then, you know, there is a... Uh, I live in near a whole bunch of warehouses uh, in Potrero Hill, like close to the dog patch. And the dog patch still has a car mechanic down there that does uh, hybrid repairs and maintenance. And they have a level two charger that is free. Uh, it's with charge point. All you need is a charge point account, but mm-hmm. they don't charge mm-hmm. you for it. Uh, the problem is it's one, right? So guess what? It's always it's taken, up. right? And, and, and level two is not and Level two isn't fast. super fast. <laughs> and it's another mile walk from my house. So it's close on paper, but I still have to walk or get somewhere to the house and back while the car is just sitting there being useless for well, how many hours. So right. it is going to be interesting. And that's why to me, having a 310 mile range on the Model S, uh, so Model 3, sorry, is going to be kind of like the killer app in many ways, because yeah. I will not be fully charged a lot when I'm in SF, you know? Yeah. 
Like it's not yeah. gonna happen. So I'm gonna have to find a way to deal with that somehow. Thankfully, it's a seven by seven mile city. So if I just have to run an errand across the city, it's you know I'm gonna basically barely move my my battery gauge, right? Yeah. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, but I'm excited. You know, I think look, it's it's like somebody's doing this right, and. You know, I love German cars, I love Japanese cars, but they just haven't done it right yet. And of course, Americans, um, kudos to Chevy for doing this. I mean, seriously, you know, awesome car, the Bolt. But I just feel that they kind of missed the mark on the on the charging lack of charging network. And and I feel the same about BMW with the i3 and and you know Volkswagen the Golf E the E Golf sorry. Despite the fact that you know the E Golf also has a lower range, and the i3 has a lower range. I want to see these cars get in the 200 mile range in the next year or two from the from the competition because everybody mm -hmm. needs to now. If 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 anything, now that the Model Three, even though it's very much lip service that it's under production, right? It's going to take a while. It's still to me this is a pretty big turning point for the industry. They have to get their shit together. Yeah. And it's, I don't it's, if if one thing Tesla has done, it's kicked they, the they don't the seem industry. they still don't <laughs> seem to be quite there though. You know, yeah. How do you feel about that? Like, do they really take this seriously yet? Yeah, they it's talk interesting. a lot uh, about it. It but seems they like don't a lot see of companies are dragging, especially on the like Japanese side. Uh, you know, obviously Toyota and Honda had a like really early out of the gate start with hybrid cars, and they and still hydrogen, hybrid right? cars. But then, like you know, they're not. Most of them are, they don't have many full electric options. They certainly don't have any long range full electric options. Um, and then, you know, the other car companies are, are very slow. GM with Chevy is doing it, but Ford's not quite there yet with full electric or it's not in full range or long range. And, and the other large makers aren't quite there yet. So it, it is, seems like they are taking a long time to get here. And it's weird to me. I don't get it because I yeah. think the demand exists. Um, and but the lack of infrastructure is kind of a chicken egg at this point, right? They're like saying, mm -hmm. "Well, we can't use the supercharger network, so we have to create our own. We don't really want to spend that kind of money," because I think they're looking at it from the oil industry perspective of that. That is not our problem. That is the oil industry's problem to create the network. So maybe they want the utilities companies to create the network, but that doesn't seem to be happening. So I think you know, I I don't know what like. Do you think Tesla would license it to them? Uh, that's hard to say. <laughs> but if they I mean, were, Tesla's, I mean, uh, the, the, the Tesla's made a lot of investment in supercharger network. It is, I mean, for basically what you've said so far can be boiled up to the killer app for the Model 3 is the fact it is, that it right? has a supercharger network uh, to fall back on. So, you know, that's a big differentiator. And, you know, just like, you know, these comparisons to the iPhone are made an awful lot. One of Apple's big differentiators is iOS, and that's not getting licensed anytime soon. So. Right. I'm, I don't know. Actually, I think a better way to think of it is the iTunes, the, I, the App Store, right? The, yeah. the app and content ecosystem they've developed really locks people in, right? Right. Absolutely. And, yep. and I mean, I know so many people are like, oh, my God, your Android phone is so amazing. I want it so bad, but there's no way I'm switching from an iPhone. And I'm like, you're an idiot. But <laughs> that's just me. But uh, but simply because it, I don't think it's such hard of a switch. I mean, I I don't understand. Like I guess some people might have thousands and thousands of dollars invested well, in their music libraries or something. I, I think it's you know I I think uh, you know obviously like you know enthusiasts like ourselves, it's very easy for us to switch. We've been using cross platform services and stuff like that, which is all designed to like make it easy to switch. But the average person isn't like that. I think of like my wife who uses an iPhone and an iPad, and her iPad is pretty much her only computer. Uh, she hasn't used a laptop in years. Uh, and you know what she does a lot on her iPad? 
She iMessages a lot on her oh, iPad. Yeah. And if you take the iPhone out of the equation, all of that breaks and it all falls apart. And so, like, you know, I will try to slip her various Android phones, be like, oh, this one's got a bigger screen. This one's got a better camera. You know, the stuff that you like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and like, it doesn't really matter because it breaks all the rest of her workflow. And like, she doesn't want, she, the, the, what matters is what works to her. And like, you know, those other things can, she can live with a slightly smaller screen or a slightly inferior camera, or maybe the battery life isn't as good. Or the latest thing is, you know, her iPhone doesn't get as good signal as my S8. Uh, which I'm like, hey, my SA is great signal. I get signal everywhere, blah, blah, blah. And she like doesn't get a strong signal, but you know, she can't use her iPad to iMessage when she has an S8. So <laughs> end of story. Yeah, no, totally. Look, I get it. My spouse, Theo, is exactly the same. Uh, they, they really don't uh, want to switch because not because so much of iMessage, but because they're so invested in the user experience. And they also feel like, hey, you know, this is not like, um, you know, this is not something I, I, I really get my wrap my head around. And, and so, but their phone is an, a 5S and it's really old and the reception, you know, because we're on T-Mobile and T-Mobile has implemented all the new bands, right? Yeah. yeah. My, my, That's, my pixel yeah. is so much better reception simply because I pick, pick, pick up bands that uh, they can't get on. Exactly. And then, and then of course there's the whole issue of, of, uh, you know, you pick up like a Galaxy S8 or a Moto Z2 Force, which has gigabit, uh, you know, access on T-Mobile now and it's just like forget it it's like i blow them away in terms of network performance every time right and we have a cell spot in our place in portland uh because we have poor reception in that area of town and and it's saying thankfully that's helping us a lot because otherwise we'd be sol right yeah 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 john ledger you know this already we've had this conversation <laughs> but when is that tower getting built near my house as you promised no, there's a joke there, Dan. When I worked at Engadget, um, I went from having kind of iffy, not iffy, but meh reception on all four carriers by the time I started at Engadget to having perfect reception on all four carriers. <laughs> and so we had this running joke at Engadget at the office that they built the towers to appease my 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 uh, my rants, right? Yeah. Uh, near my house, somehow all carriers ended up building towers. This is an SF. Uh, and uh, I don't know if it's true, but it's definitely improved drastically at least in my part of town there yeah so, yeah and you know i've been poking t-mobile for years for its poor service outside of major cities and it's, it's gotten better weird, you know but I, because I'm, I'm, i live in the suburbs and i i am a t-mobile customer now because it actually works where it didn't like a year ago so yeah i mean for me i'm like i'm in sf of course i'm in the heart of the city and in portland i'm like just outside the the, the main core of the city i'm not in the burbs at all so it's just weird to me that i'm i think i'm just in a dead spot because if i go a block either way i get really good reception so it's just like just between two towers or something or in the middle of a triangle uh where it's just a little fainter and then, then you know, being indoors obviously doesn't really help um but speaking of phones, let's segue into speaking of some phones. Sure. Uh, I was delighted to see that you reviewed the Nokia 6 only because, again, I'm a bit of a Nokia nostalgic uh, fan in the sense that I first got my career as a journalist going by reviewing Nokia phones. So I, I honestly not... never thought I would no review another Nokia phone. I yeah, did. right? Here I am. Uh, in July but, 2017, publishing a review of a Nokia phone. <laughs> now, it's nothing extravagant or exciting. We knew this going into it. We saw yeah. it at Mobile World Congress. But, you know, give us a quick, um, you know, short version of your review so that people know what to expect, all the other sure. Nokia fans out there. Yeah, if you're a Nokia fan, uh, this is probably not the device you're waiting for. 
is basically what it is. It's uh, the Nokia six is an entry level phone. You can buy it two ways in the U S one is, uh, Oh, and both of them are from Amazon just to be clear. But one of them is for $180. You can get it with Amazon's apps and ads on the lock screen or for $230, you can get it without the ads. So, uh, and that's like full price unlocked, no other extra costs. So this is obviously not a flagship phone or class leading phone of any sort. And, you know, it's kind of like borne out in its experience. I was hoping maybe that like, uh, you know, it has a Nokia name. There's a lot of ex Nokia engineers that work in the company that produces phone um, that maybe it would kind of like punch above its weight class a little bit, but that's not really the case. Uh, it, it, the, the build quality it's a metal phone and, and it's it's not plastic or cheap feeling, but it feels rough around the edges. It's not premium feeling at all. The design is kind of dated looking. It looks like something that might have been cool in 2014 or 2015. Uh, the camera's kind of crummy. The processor is fine, but if you really like notice performance on your phone or care about performance on your phone, it's going to let you down. So, you know, you, it's a lot of you get what you pay for, uh, but... Yeah. It's 180 bucks, which is not a lot to pay. So, you know, if, if you're looking for a phone on the cheap and you don't really aren't particular about camera quality and uh, best design and build quality and, and the highest, fastest performance, it's probably going to be just fine for a lot of people. Uh, one thing I did appreciate was that it comes with Android 7.1.1 like now it has it, uh, which is pretty much the latest public version of Android that you can get. It has all the fun little features that Android nerds look for, like quick access uh, shortcut icons and the, the interface is not mucked with at all. It's basically a Google pixel interface on a cheap phone. Um, so that's like, you know, kind of the thing that was nice to have because usually with inexpensive phones, the the worst part about them is the software experience. And so I can say the software experience is good on this. So Cool. Well, I mean, thanks for the rundown. I, I think that um, I wasn't expecting too much on that phone, frankly. I'm really looking forward to the Nokia 8. Um, there's supposedly a launch event on August 16th, maybe in mm -hmm. Europe somewhere. Uh, the USPR team would not confirm that despite the fact that you guys wrote about it. <laughs> so obviously <laughs> I mean, I, some I, I people have gotten invited. Yeah, I think, I think we're, our, our UK team got some invites. So, uh, it's happening in the UK as far as I yeah. know. Well, I mean that one, at least, you know, it's still, it's still not going to be like a, a Galaxy S8 great phone, but it's going to at least bring some flagship-ish features to the table, just like the OnePlus 5 in many ways, you know? Mm -hmm. um, not, I guess, pseudo-flagship. Speaking of the OnePlus 5, I saw your video review, mm -hmm. and I have to agree that I'm a little let down by this phone overall. The price is a little too high, and the camera performance is a little too low, and the rest of it is great, you know? Mm -hmm. So... Well, what, lack of waterproofing, iPhone. Yeah, you know, design. it's 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 kind of like this phone and the Moto Z2 Play and a couple of other models, like I think of the Huawei Mate 9. Um, they kind of fall in this like pricing bracket that is too much money for actual budget con conscious buyers who are like, right. I, I need to buy a phone for two hundred or three hundred bucks and I can't go any higher. And then they are too close in price to the actual flagships. So like right. they are spitting distance from an S8 or an iPhone or G6 or whatever, pick your favorite flagship. Uh, especially if you can get like carrier deals, like the S8 seems to be going on sale every other week or every week. Uh, and when you are in the U S at least, you know, most people are buying their phones on payment plans where they have 24 months yep. to pay it off. And the difference between a $500 phone and a $700 phone 
might be four or five bucks a month. Like that's, that's a, a go, go with a seven hundred dollar phone. <laughs> that's the cheapest espresso in San Francisco, right there. Yeah, yeah so, exactly. Like it's I a no brainer. So you get this un- unbuying valley. I call it the unbuying valley between the pricing is like four fifty to like six hundred dollars. Like just nobody buys phones in that thing, and that's kind of right where the one plus five sits. Um, and as far as like performance goes, it's really fast and it has the fastest processor and all that RAM and all that stuff. Um, the design is, it's well built and it's metal and you're getting premium stuff there. The camera is obviously where you give up the it's most. It's where it falls apart to, the, to me. It's yeah, like they, it's, and it's subjectively overall, I think better than the 3T, but not really that huge of an, like it doesn't right. keep up with the competition the the real competition those right. those $700 flagships in my opinion that's where right. it's really vexing to me see i feel i feel that it let me down a little bit this year i mean i love it a lot like in the vacuum this phone is amazing but it's not in a vacuum right. and as you said there's an issue of like the unbuying valley is that what you call it yeah that's that's what i called it <laughs> that's and that's phenomenal um <laughs> But to me, I'll be honest though, that the Mate 9, at the time it was announced, I, th- I still think of it as pretty much flagship grade. It's priced lower than a flagship, but it doesn't cut any corners. I mean, it has OIS on the camera. It has, you know... Uh, I mean, if you consider, you know, I don't know, the software experience on Huawei still drives well, me nuts. And, for yeah. sure. I, but I think on paper, it still matches, you know, uh, and I think the camera is at least in a league that's decent, I think it's better than a OnePlus 5, not mm-hmm, as good mm-hmm. as the, 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 the you know state-of-the-art or anything. But it's also a phone that was made in the fall and launched in the fall in Europe. Winter, I should say. So, I mean, let's... let's. But you mentioned the Moto Z2 Play, and it's really interesting to me because I want to talk about this a little, bre- little bit. We covered this extensively with David Ruddock from Android Police last week on the show. Uh, and, of course, the reviews are going to be out soon because I think there's still an embargo for that. But... um. The Moto Z Force, Z2 Force versus Z2 Play issue. To me, the Z2 Play is the better phone. Yeah, you know, on paper, the Z2 Force has got a better processor and it's got a higher res screen and, you know, supposedly it's got the dual camera system and then that shatter shield display. But man, do you pay a lot for those features. And its price is like ramping right up to $800 and it is, you know, using, you know, Motorola kind of... They knew they were doing this, but they kind of shot themselves in the foot. It's now like, you know, they're using this design that works for their mod system, but it means that their phone kind of has to look pretty dated, especially when it's on the shelf next to a GS8 or a G6 uh, or whatever iPhone's coming out in the fall. Like you put that phone next to, you put the Z2 Force next to any one of those phones and it's like, well, man, one of these other ones looks really nice and like it's definitely true. looks like the future of phones, right? Well, they um, could make a, a two by one display on a Moto Z form factor and like chamfer the edges in the front, but they they're stuck with the back, right? Well, they're the stuck with the back issue. and they're stuck with the fingerprint scanner where it is. They could omit a fingerprint scanner, but you know that it's not going to play very well either. Um, so, like, unless they are able to develop a technology to do under glass fingerprint scanning, which we've been waiting for and nobody's really come out with in any meaningful way. Um, they're kind of like stuck with this design that they have, at least for 2017. And, you know, the, so be it. That's the choices they made. The other thing that like kind of disappoints me with the Z2 force is that, you know, you don't get the, the, it seems like they cut a lot of corners in a lot of ways. You know, the the battery is a lot smaller than last year's. No headphone jack still when they have one on the Z2 play. Right. Exactly. You don't, you don't even get a style shell in the box with the Z2 force. So like, you know, the, the like 
little things that you got last year or you even get with the cheaper model with the Z2 Play, you're not getting with the more expensive version. Uh, so, you know, it seems like a kind of a little bit of a miss. We'll see what the reviews say when, you know, uh, they come out officially. Uh, as far as the Z2 Play goes, I kind of feel the same way about that in terms of compared to last year's Z Play. I was a huge fan of last year's oh, Z Play. Oh, yeah. I hear like, you. You could get it cheap. You could get it. Uh, it was like had a killer battery life that was like untouchable uh, by any other phone. Like, I mean, yep. I, I actually use the Z Play as my like primary device for a long time because like really the only thing that mattered to me at the end of the day was whether my phone was working or not. And if it had a longer battery life, it would have longer. It would be working. And you know, the Z2 Play was a regression in many ways, and the features that they added weren't good enough to really I agree. Yeah. make it that much better. And it, and it bumped the price up a lot. So, like, uh, it's kind of like, you know, I, I like Motorola, what Motorola is doing. I'm glad that they're, like, you know, going back to calling themselves Motorola, like they should have all be begun with. Um, yeah, right. And, and, you know, like, certain things that I like that they did, but this year seems like they're kind of whiffing a couple ways, and, and it's a little bit of a bummer to see. For sure. I, I think for me, the, the, the problem with Z2 Force is that um, the battery, you know, the battery sacrifice, I, I don't really care about the the shatter shield display. I really don't. I think it's a, I think it's a step back in, in terms of quality because it, right. it's a plastic screen instead of a glass screen. It scratches very easily. Mm -hmm. um, yes, it's shatterproof, but it, it's thicker. And it has bad optical properties that I think affect the display performance, especially for VR. If you have scratches on it, uh, you're going to see them in VR. Um, you know, who, got, who who uses a Daydream? Obviously, not that many people. But at the <laughs> same time, you know, it's like they made the phone for Daydream. So anyway, um, the other issue is like a headphone jack. I really thought that they would come back to one because, you know, the big players are not abandoning it. So maybe they would have had a, they would have been smart. And unlike HTC, who's sticking with their guns idiotically about that, um, you know, would have thought that Moto maybe uh, uh, would, would do the right thing, but they chose not to. And then the camera, to me, it's just, honestly, it's a step down from the Z2 Play. And I'll tell you why. Because the Z2 Play is f1.8 and has large pixels and even though the software is not the greatest you can capture more light in low light and you have all, you have no OIS mind you but but you know the the Z2 Force doesn't have OIS either but it has an f over 2 lens so it's not as fast and it has these large pic uh, these, sorry these large arrays so it's you know I don't think they're large pixels I think they're small mm -hmm. they're small they're you know they're small uh uh uh, pixel sizes. So I, I, I feel that the low light performance is not quite there. I mean, it's competitive. Like this one plus five is competitive in the sense that it'll take decent enough pictures, but compared to like a U11 or a G6 or a Galaxy S8, uh, forget it. Like, or, or pixel. Even, even it's a not, pixel, yeah. it's not even in the same league. And to me, it's like, how can you make an $800 phone that really the only thing it has going for is mods, which nobody uses, nobody buys. And they're now forcing you to buy a battery mod because you pretty much need it. And I think that's their strategy is reducing the battery size on the Z2 Force and the Z2 Play is they want to sell mods. They didn't sell mods last year. And more importantly, the carriers want to make a profit and they make profits mm -hmm. on accessories. So it's kind of a scam to me. It's like, you know, and it's still not water resistant. And so that's why I say, you know, for $409, you can walk into a Verizon store and buy the Z2 Play. Mm -hmm. If you're going to buy a mod compatible phone today, buy that one, you know, right. or buy the old Z Play if you can still yeah. find it. Yeah. Because you're better served than, um, than the Z Force or the, Z mean, or the Z2 Force. But basically, that's the same story as last year, right? Exactly. 
Yeah. Like we uh, last year, if you wanted a, a mod phone, then you bought the Z Play. Uh, yeah. You, like I would not have recommended the Z two Z Force or the Z the original model. Uh, and and we're here. We are in the same same situation this year. It's crazy. And you know the other thing that blows my mind, and that's why I actually do like the Z two Play a bit more than the Z Play this year, is the headphone jack. Like the headphone uh, quality of the audio coming out of the headphone on mm. the Z two Play is unbelievable. It's up there with the HTC 10, the the V20, it, it's mm. got incredible audio performance. Uh, and and I'm like, I don't know why that happened and how that happened, but somebody obviously was passionate and took care of that on that phone. Um, the Z Play last year was pretty damn good too on the headphone jack. Uh, but it just goes to show you that having external dongles for your headphone experience, it, it brings the quality down a notch. Um, and and that is unforgivable to me because I'm sorry I'm I'm an audiophile I want wired connections it's still better to me than even Bluetooth with Aptex HD you know it's like I'm not gonna let that go you know it's like forget it yeah, Until you- yeah so for me like I, I I use wireless headphones every single day and I commute a lot and wire, if I couldn't have wireless headphones in my commute I would kill myself but uh, so for me it's more of a practicality thing to have the headphone jack than uh, pure quality. Because, you know, I get into my car or I get into a rental car and if I don't have a headphone jack, the way I have to plug my phone into the car is I either need to bring the stupid adapter or I have to set up Bluetooth pairing. And like, I don't really want to do that if I'm just borrowing a car or I'm driving my wife's car and my my phone isn't paired up to her system. I just want to be able to plug into the auxiliary jack and, you know, pull up my maps and and, and music and, and be on with it. Uh, yeah. But if I don't have a headphone jack, I have to remember to bring the it's, stupid dongle. <laughs> it's the universal translator of audio connectivity. And yeah. and it's been on every device made in the entire history of audio. And it's so cheap to implement and it doesn't take up that much space. And you can make a phone that's as low as four millimeter thick with a headphone jack. So mm-hmm. I think all these arguments that manufacturers are coming out to avoid it are BS. And Apple, you're the biggest freaking jerk about this. I really am pissed off at Apple for doing that last year because I see so many people struggling with this every day with their new iPhones. Yeah, it's um, funny. Uh, I they one don't admit about it, that. but they yeah. do struggle. I have one, one anecdote about that. My wife has had an iPhone 7 since last fall, and uh, she does not ever use headphones. Um, her, her, hers pairs to the car with Bluetooth and whatever, and she never plugs headphones into her, into her phone. So a couple of weeks ago, she wanted to go for a walk and listen to some music, and she, like, Asked me, she's like, hey, do you have any headphones I can use on my phone? Because she knows, of course, I have a whole bin full of headphones. So I'm like, yeah. And I just, like, grabbed the first ones that, like, fit in her ears and, like, was like, here you go. And then she, like, leaves. And five minutes later, I get a message. So how do I plug these in? (laughs) I I was like, I had completely forgotten forgotten that she doesn't have a headphone jack. She obviously didn't realize it. So then I had to, like, go find. I happen to have her iPhone box in my office. So I had to go, like, find the box, pull the stupid adapter out and, like, go give it to her and stuff like that because uh, like, it doesn't it doesn't matter that you don't have a headphone jack until it does matter and then it matters a lot and it's really frustrating yeah exactly and so speaking of iphone um you've seen all the rumors are you excited about uh-huh. the millen the not millennial the 10th anniversary iphone 8 iphone pro rumors we're seeing i think it's pretty hot i might even buy one just because i don't usually buy iphones but but because it's going to be a 10-year milestone and if they make something that can compete technologically with the uh, galaxy s8 which i think is the most technologically advanced phone on the planet today 
Um, I'm going to be happy because I believe an Apple, I'm a Mac user. I really love their technology, but I've never gotten into the iPhone and iOS because it's too limiting for me. But I've always believed that for a long time that they were able to innovate and create high-tech devices. And in the last few years, like it's been three form factors now of essentially identical phones with better specs. And I'm bored. I'm yeah. really bored. Like, I don't understand how iPhone users really do it because I'm a person who changes phones all the time. Now, that's, you know, collateral damage from my job. But the point is that I just don't know how they don't get bored of their phone, Dan. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, the point you make about it being a special edition for 10th anniversary, that might be the biggest draw for me. Uh, just as like a nice thing to have in my collection. But I, when, and when I look at the leaks and the rumors and stuff, I look at them and I'm, I look at my S8 Plus that I carry every day and I'm like... like I'm already using this phone. Like, right, exactly. <laughs> what's so exciting about, about like, you have this the future stuff. in your pocket today? Yeah, yeah. And it's like you know, I, I don't want to you know give Samsung too much credit, but like you know, they deserve a lot of credit for actually like presenting something that like feels like futuristic and feels like oh, they nailed oh, it. This I year. could totally see where this is like gonna be where phones and, and are you know the, the other thing is to keep in mind is the Note Eight will be a real thing by then. And it's going to bring a dual camera to the table. You know it. And and they're mm-hmm. going to do it right. I know they're going to do it right. They're not going to... F- I, I, I really don't think they're going to screw this up. <laughs> so... Well, let's... I mean, they have other things to worry about with the Note 8 uh, basics. So, you know... Well, come on. They, that they that. nailed the basics on the Galaxy S8. I think the, they're going to be fine with the Note now. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean... But anyway, I'm excited about the Note 8. I'm excited about this iPhone. Um... We talked briefly about Galaxy S8. Obviously, you know, definitely a, a milestone of a of a device. Um, redef- I think redefines the state of the art in phones. That's basically what yeah. I said in my review on Chip Chick. Uh, I also reviewed the G6 for them, and the G6 is also one of my favorite phones. Even though now it's getting a little long in the tooth with the 821, and so the so is the Pixel really in a way. I mean, it's, 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 it's funny phone, you say that the G6 gets is a little long in the tooth. It came out three weeks before I, the S8. I know, like, I know. But they're con- they're concurrent models, and it just feels know, like. LG made a worse version of the S8. I like, did. They did. Nobody's buying. They did the proto. I, I call it the proto S8. It's the prototype of the S8. Yeah. Because because it has the display and everything, but it doesn't really. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I um, mean, but there are lots of good things about the the G6. I think. Though personally, I love the wide angle camera, mm-hmm. and I think the camera performance for a small pixel sensor is really pr- ridiculously amazing. Uh, and I love the fact that it's not a curved display on the edges. And that it feels really great in hand. That's those are the things that I like about the G6. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish I had a Snapdragon 835, but I have a feeling the V30 is going to be our phone for those of us who want a bigger phone, but I, you know, no longer want the removable battery. We want like a sealed, waterproof design like the G6 is. That's going to be the phone for us. It's going to bring everything we saw on the G6, but bigger in size with the. Uh, all the latest technology, right? The 835. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, I, I can't wait for the rumors are now September 28th launch for the V30. So let's see if that happens. Yeah, interesting. I, I haven't followed the rumors too much on that one, but yeah, that would make sense. Basically, just take a G6, put the latest guts in it and more RAM and then, you know, beef up the size. And there's rumors that it'll be the first AMOLED panel from LG on a phone, like yeah, on that, a mainstream phone. Because, you and know, then so the, far... the new Pixel will come out and... Everyone and you, and, and it's going to be, and so here's the thing, the Pixel this time, and I'm super excited about the new Pixel because that's my daily driver still. Um, the, I have an XL. Uh, I'm looking forward to the Pixel 2 because it's going to be made by LG. So it's going to have the core, I think, of the G6 and V30 
Mm -hmm. uh, but distilled into a pixel experience without probably without the dual camera, obviously. But whatever, you know, if they can do what they did Google with their algorithms last year and crank it up a notch to scale up to the better processors, and there's even rumors that it's going to use the next chip, the 836 from Qualcomm, supposedly. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true or not, but I wouldn't be surprised. We got an 821 last year around the summertime. So 836 to replace the 835 wouldn't be that much of a stretch. And making that into a pixel and, you know, really nailing the pixel again would be a pretty awesome thing. So I don't know. What do you think? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree on all fronts. You know, one thing uh, that would disappoint me with the pixel last year is, is how quickly it felt aged. Like, this, especially the hard, the physical design of it, like um, it just it just did not age well. It, I look at it now and I'm like, man, that that design it did is not. really dated. Yeah, because and it's like HTC. the camera's great, the performance was great, the software is obviously great, but you know, it's it's thing creams, I hold H every it's creams HTC. It did last year too. You know, it's like yeah. you look at the pixel and you're like, yeah, that's an HTC phone. Uh, and <laughs> and and I don't want to knock HTC because I don't. Did you review the U11 or, or was it someone did. else? I did. Yeah, oh, you did. No, I thought I did, so. Yeah. yeah. I did it too for Chip Chick, and I'm telling you, the UE Velvet, other than the lack of headphone jack and the fact that it's a little boring looking because it's got doesn't have that white that ultra wide screen we all want now. Uh, in every other way, it's a great phone, and mm -hmm. I think that the camera on it is potentially the best phone camera today. Yeah, uh, yeah it's no, a tough it's, one it's, it's because it's in many many ways. I just felt like with the U11, like aside from its like stunning color and the glass and everything. The shape of it is very boring and like yeah. it, it's very dated looking at this point. And and, exactly. and it's like it's silly to say that because like we've been using phones that look like that for so long now, but like as soon as these super widescreen displays came out, they immediately made everything else look super old. Yeah, I mean all you have so. to do is put a Galaxy S8 next to an iPhone 7 and you'll know exactly what we're talking mm -hmm. about. Yep. Because it's like not it's like mind blowing. You want that Galaxy S8 so bad. Like, I'm sorry, I do. I don't know. Uh, I, I <laughs> iPhones are so boring. They always have been. Actually, they haven't. I think the 5 series, the 5S, 5C, yeah. SE, not 5C, 5, 5S, and 5SE, no, SE, are, I think, pretty awesome designs. I like the squareness. Yeah. I like the way they look and feel. But the, the blobbiness of the 6, 6S, 7 is totally boring to me. Like, can you make a bar of soap, anyone? There's your <laughs> iPhone. It's a bar of soap. Don't melt it in the tub. <laughs> You know, anyway, um, speaking of phones that are upcoming, Essential, we still ha don't have that phone. What do you think yeah, is going it's, on Yeah, it's there? essentially not here yet. <laughs> <laughs> well played, well played. Uh, you know, I think they highlight the issue with a new company trying to make a very difficult thing, which is building a, bu building a smartphone isn't hard. Building a very good smartphone is hard. Uh, yep. And, you know, they're, they've got one carrier partner, um, but, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing. I think, you know... Uh, Andy Rubin said on stage at the Code Conference in May that they would be shipping phones within 30 days. I think he probably got a little overexcited there and yeah. might have spoken out of turn that the rest of the company kind of wasn't, you know, prepared for and stuff. So they obviously missed that window. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're probably going to, unless they do something really quickly, they're not going to come anywhere close to that window. Uh, so... You know, it's it's a new company and they're they're building a new thing. They they one of the things that they like to to tout is the fact that it's manufactured with titanium, which is a different material. So maybe yeah, be interesting. there's there's issues running into that mass production or or whatever. There's a lot of things that can go wrong along the journey. So you know, I guess we're just kind of waiting. It's just if they wait too long, 
they're going to well, exactly. run into fall season and fall so that's my point it's like yeah. you know the west of the world doesn't stop remember when robin was announced next bit uh-huh. right like yeah. i mean at the time it was a solid spec phone but by the time it shipped just six months later less than that right yeah. they, they managed to execute uh, from crowdfunding to shipping, less than six months, which is pretty amazing for crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know this firsthand, considering how many crowdfunded clients I have. <laughs> um, but the point is, it's like they, you know, it's it was so dated. Like the processor was way behind, and and I mean, it was a good phone in many ways. But it just like seemed like I really wanted to support them because I'm like an independent small manufacturer like that is what we need, right? Like we need more variety, but it's so hard to pull off. Um, and then they got acquired by Razer, which is good for them. But I'm saying like, it, you know, clearly don't, I don't think it's a sustainable business. I'm really kind of wondering how Andy and his team can pull this off long-term. I, I um, wonder how much of it is just a, an acquisition play. Yeah, probably like it's just, is. They're just waiting to be acquired. They built, but, they built their core technology is not the phone. Their core technology is this OS that they like right, want to put right. in their home speaker and stuff like that. And the phone is just like their first vehicle. It. so like, yeah it's just it's just a marketing exercise in many ways yeah yeah exactly exactly and so you know they're probably hoping that a another company sees the value in their core technology and you know goes but there. i think that by next year i'm pretty confident to say that almost every mid high upper mid range to flagship phone will have an ultra wide screen with very little bezel we're, mm-hmm. we're going to get the v30 we're going to get the essential we're going to get the that crazy new iphone we're going to get uh the the note eight uh and then after that i mean you know one plus better make uh, a wide screen we're gonna get the pixel too so mm-hmm. one plus the better make a one plus six with a ultra wide uh bezel-less display and i think the me mix 2 is supposed to come out so that's going to be completely bezel-less from what i hear completely there's nothing mm-hmm. in front i don't know how they're <laughs> going to pull that off but they are supposedly so I don't know. I think it's an interesting time we live in, and I'm um, I'm excited. You know, the phone. I've always had the vision of the phone being this transparent, translucent thing you held in your hand with nothing, mm-hmm. and then you just tap on it, and it just wakes up, and it's it's the whole thing's a screen, right? Right. And we're getting so close to this sci-fi moment. It's kind of exciting. Yeah. 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 I'm I'm excited too. I, I, you know, phones got boring for a while, and now it seems like they're getting exciting again. So. Other than phones, what's got you? excited and hot and bothered about the industry right now and in general mm. not just mobile but whatever mm, that's a good question because you know we're jaded we see all this stuff every day and we're like yeah whatever <laughs> yeah you know I, i'm pretty jaded uh <laughs> i can tell you personally uh yeah, okay. I, I i did something interesting last week uh i bought a camera which was new to me and it was new in the box and, and never been used but it was a three-year-old prior generation camera i didn't buy the latest and greatest which model. one uh, i picked up a fuji xt1 which came out in 2014 uh a few retailers online amazon b&h etc were selling a, a package deal with a couple of lenses uh and it was like twelve hundred dollars less than the new model so like wow i was like hmm how much of this do i need to have the latest and greatest because i've been kind of like eyeing the the new model and wanting to like you know jump in and, and stuff like that but then i saw this and i was like you know i can actually swallow my pride and and use the prior model and take great photos with it because you know you don't need the latest and greatest so i did that and you know i've been happy with it so far it's been a week but uh we'll see what happens but that was kind of like you know for me, especially when it comes to things like phones or other gadgets or like uh, stuff like that, I tend to buy the latest and greatest because I want I want the best. And then 
I, you know, I know that it's going to last me the longest from my point of purchase, but this time a little, little change of direction. Yeah. I think photography is still one of the areas where you can buy a camera and it can last you for a while. Like I have uh, a Fujifilm X30, which I Mm -hmm. really love because of all the manual controls. And like, I take it as it's my holiday camera, right? Like when I go on a trip or something, that's the camera I take with me. Uh, My, my work camera, like the one I take hands-ons with and stuff is a very, very old Sony NEX C3. Um, It's about five years old. It's got something like a hundred thousand pictures taken with it on the odometer. It's insane. Still taking, (laughs) I have a bunch of lenses for it. Um, uh, and I use it, you know, uh, almost every, every week. And, um, and, you know, it's old by anybody's standards, but it still takes good enough photos that I don't really feel like I need to worry too much about upgrading it, at least for the intended purposes, right? Sure. Yeah, if for, money the was photography no, industry definitely moves a bit slower than right, the, I mean, the mobile it, industry. So, If money was no issue, I'd totally want to get like a newer Alpha, you know, e, um, uh, APS-C E-series uh, camera. But I, at this point, I'm not feeling like particularly, like I'm kind of wanting to see how long it'll be before this thing completely falls apart considering <laughs> it's being banged around and at shows and events every time I take it out. So yeah. it'll be interesting, but, um, yeah, I mean, overall, I think, uh, cameras is an area that, yeah, I feel I splurge and buy it more for, for hobby and fun than yeah, work usually. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So, but, uh, there's so many that I want and I've definitely fallen in love with Fuji's the Fuji way. Uh, mm-hmm. the X30, uh, was a gift to me and I did not have, you know, I had no idea they were getting me this and, and more importantly, it was not something I'd sec- seeked out. I never said to the person who bought it for me, Hey, you know, I want this camera. They just surprised mm-hmm. me and they said, here, you know, use this. And I was like, holy crap. I love this experience. It's so analog, you know, it's kind of right, like exactly, the, yeah. my, 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 my Porsche versus the, the model, uh, the model three, right? Like. <laughs> Both really capable and really awesome vehicles in their own right, but a completely different experience. Purely analog Absolutely. stick shift on the on the sports car versus you know the the future when I get that Model Three. So yeah, it's it's exciting. Listen, we should wrap it up. I want you to get a chance to uh, you know uh, pimp your 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 presence online. I know sure. you obviously you work for the Verge, but but please let everybody know where they can find you and where they can follow you. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm annoyingly active on Twitter, uh, which is at uh, twitter.com slash DC Seifert. Um, so follow me if you must, but fair warning. Uh, and then, you know, uh, at The Verge, we just launched our new reviews program that we're calling Guidebook. Uh, so you can check that out at theverge.com slash guidebook. I pretty much edit and manage the page, so you won't always see my byline there, but uh, you'll see the bylines of all of our great reporters and writers and stuff like that. And you can find reviews and how to's and uh, buying guides and editor's choice and all that fun stuff there. So that's mostly what's been consuming my life all summer. Cool. And congrats on that launch, by the way. That's Thank pretty you. exciting. Um, I felt that, um, you know, Circuit Breaker is another one of my favorite little subsection of The Verge. Uh, you guys have some pretty awesome car coverage lately. So keep that up. It's awesome. Cheers. Um, yeah, so you guys know where to find me. I'm at Tankerl on Twitter, T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character without the vowels. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash Miriam like my full name spelt out with a Y, the Miriam. And then, uh, of course, uh, here on the Mobile Tech Podcast at mobiletechpodcast.com. Uh, I want to thank the wonderful people at World Podcasts for making this happen and editing it and hosting it every week. And uh, stay tuned till next week. We'll have another show for you. And again, thanks, Dan, for being on. 
Thank you. Bye, guys. Cheers. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.